While ranked among the likes of Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, Aretha Franklin, Barbara Streisand, Ella Fitzgerald, and Celine Dion, Um Kulthum is a name virtually unknown in the West. But in the Arab world, she isn't just a singing superstar more famous than all of the previously named Western icons combined. Rather, she was and is seen as the personification of Egypt and the wider Arab region. Someone who nostalgically represented local values amid a lingering legacy of colonialism and increasing westernization and modernization. In this episode of the Egypt Travel Podcast, the story of Um Kulthum, whose powerful voice once made waves across Egypt and the Middle East. To this day, she remains a beloved cultural icon, with tens of millions of people frequently continuing to listen to her extraordinary performances nearly five decades after her death. Known as Kalkeb Ashark, or Star of the Middle East in Arabic, Um Kulthum led a dazzlingly colorful life. She was born on the 4th of May in 1904 in the village of Tumai Zahaira in Egypt and was the daughter of an imam who supported his family by singing traditional religious songs at celebrations and festivals. From a young age, Um Kulthum had a distinct, powerful singing voice which caught her father's attention. He began bringing her along whenever he was working, dressing her as a boy since he would have been criticized for showing off his daughter to the public. This was because at the time, most Egyptians regarded professional singing as rather scandalous, especially if the performer was female. Thanks to her incredible voice, Um Kulthum quickly became an in-demand talent, performing in towns and villages across northern Egypt's Nile Delta region. Her family was quick to realize her potential, and in 1923, they moved to Cairo, which even back then was already the entertainment capital of the entire Middle East. When she first arrived, Um Kulthum was regarded as old-fashioned and unsophisticated by those in Cairo's metropolitan circles. They were particularly critical of her voice, which didn't have the melodic subtleties and nuances that Egyptian music of the time called for. To improve her reputation, she began studying music, poetry, and literature from some of the city's top performers and scholars. Her teachers included the renowned poet Ahmed Rami, who taught her literary Arabic. She also studied the wealthy women who invited her to their homes to perform, mimicking their behavior and mannerisms. Before long, she had made a name for herself in the homes and salons of Cairo's wealthiest residents. In the mid-1920s, she began making commercial recordings that sold by the thousands, with many listeners praising her powerful notes and unique performing style. In an article for Harvard Magazine, musicologist Virginia Danielson wrote, quote, In that cosmopolitan city, according to historian Hussein Fauzi, one could hear adaptations of the latest French plays, European operas, Sousa marches, and Way Down Upon the Sewanee River. Um Kulthum confronted this international array with a cultivated Egyptian-Arab style of song, informed by new sounds and instruments from the West, but essentially local. End quote. This one-of-a-kind approach to music took Cairo by storm, and by the end of the decade, Um Kulthum had become one of the top performers in the city. In 1934, Egyptian radio was established, which led to Um Kulthum's fame skyrocketing as hundreds of thousands of people across the country began blasting her songs 
no matter the time of day. Two years later, she decided to expand her career into film acting and took on the title role in Wedad, a romantic musical inspired by the classic 1001 Nights, a collection of Arabic folktales attributed to the Persian poet Omar Khayyam. The following year, Umm Kulthum negotiated a deal to have all of her performances broadcast live on Egyptian radio. Practically everyone, from the wealthiest families of Cairo to the villagers of the countryside, tuned in to hear her sing. By this time, Umm Kulthum had transitioned from singing religious songs to more popular ones, often with a small orchestra playing in the background. She became known for her passionate renditions of works created by Egypt's top composers of the time, such as the poets Ahmed Shauki and Bayram al-Tunisi. But it was in the 1940s when Umm Kulthum's career really took off. According to Virginia Danielson, quote, she sang songs for which she would be remembered for the rest of the century, especially colloquial love songs echoing the language and music of working-class people. She also sang elegant and sophisticated poetry in literary Arabic, laden with historic and religious images. End quote. Many of Umm Kulthum's renditions, particularly those composed for her by the neoclassicist Riyad al-Sunbati, had political overtones, such as subtle messages that hinted at social justice and support for Egyptian self-rule. Umm Kulthum insisted on being more in control of her career as it skyrocketed. Not only did she produce her own concerts, but she also chose which orchestras would accompany her performances, as well as which actors and technicians would work with her on films. She became a member of the Listening Committee, which was responsible for deciding what songs would be broadcast on radio, and was also elected president of the Musicians' Union. Apart from being one of the country's top performers, Umm Kulthum also became known for her political activism, which she ramped up after the 1952 Egyptian Revolution. She began singing songs that called for Egyptian independence, such as Nasheed al-Gamah, or the University Anthem and Sa'elu Albi, or Ask My Heart, as well as those that supported President Gamal Abdel Nasser, who had helped overthrow the monarchy. Given that she herself had come from humble beginnings, Umm Kulthum also used her fame and fortune to help her impoverished countrymen. After Egypt was defeated in the 1967 Six-Day War, she set off on a tour of the Arab world and donated its proceeds, which came to about $2 million, to the government. She also spoke passionately about her own rise from poverty and helped raise awareness for the country's less fortunate populations. For many, Umm Kulthum was authentically Egyptian, which was a challenging feat in those times due to increasing westernization. She was also praised for her evocative renditions, with admirers saying that she didn't just sing songs, but she infused them with meaning. According to Harvard Magazine, quote, standing before her audiences, Umm Kulthum repeated phrases and sections at their behest. People said she never sang a line the same way twice. With virtuosic command of the historic Arabic melodic system and hundreds of vocal colors and ornaments, she stretched 20-minute compositions into two-hour performances. Crowds roared their approval. Listeners at home shouted acclamations to each other. End quote. Before long, Umm Kulthum became regarded as a cultural symbol of Egypt, someone who represented distinctly local values despite the powerful forces of foreign influences. She skillfully navigated the political turmoil of her time, coming out stronger, 
better, and even more famous and beloved. Unfortunately for Umm Kulthum and her loyal fan base across Egypt and the Middle East, she was plagued by a wide variety of ailments later in life, and her declining health soon forced her to limit her performances. She even traveled to Europe and the United States multiple times to receive medical treatments for an undisclosed kidney condition. In her later years, Umm Kulthum wore dark, heavy sunglasses to shield her eyes after they reportedly became weak from overexposure to harsh stage lights. This was just one of the many health issues that she had to put up with for most of her life. On February 3, 1975, Umm Kulthum suffered from a kidney attack which ultimately killed her. By then, she had become such a beloved cultural icon that her funeral was declared a national event, with the three-hour-long procession attended by more than four million mourners in the streets of Cairo. Today, Umm Kulthum remains enormously popular in Egypt and the Middle East. Several monuments have been erected in her honor, as well as a museum dedicated to her life and career on the grounds of Monasterly Palace in Cairo that was opened in 2001. Among the many exhibits that can be found there are many of the elaborate and elegant dresses in which she performed, national commendations from leaders all over the Arab world, photographs of her throughout her life, pages of her personal diary, and of course recordings of her most famous performances. It's difficult to put into words the legacy that Umm Kulthum has left behind. While there are superstars in Western culture who we say defined generations, Umm Kulthum defined a century and transcends generations. To this day, you can still hear her voice playing softly in the background as you ride in a taxi through the streets of Cairo or on a small television or radio in the back of a shop. You see her iconic image hanging in cafes and coffee shops, and her silhouette adorns t-shirts sold by urban artists and ornaments in the Kano Khalili. Whether in Egypt, other countries throughout the Middle East, or in the Arab diaspora around the world, she is still known and loved by people young and old, rich and poor, progressive and conservative, modern and traditional. Whether in the past or today, there is simply no single person to which she compares in the entire Western world. Perhaps Virginia Danielson put it best when she wrote, quote, Imagine a singer with the virtuosity of Joan Sutherland or Ella Fitzgerald, the public persona of Eleanor Roosevelt, and the audience of Elvis. And you have Umm Kulthum, the most accomplished singer of her century in the Arab world. <laughs>